All right, so this is officially the second course, um, beginning tonight, of going through the Old Testament book by book. So I was talking with uh, Jonathan and um, not Danny directly, but maybe through Jonathan some, and uh, we said we're going to do a l something a little bit different uh, this second course. So if you remember the first uh, semester, we uh, studied the historical, literary, and theological aspects of these different books. I called it the interpretive triad. Well, uh, of course, this is the first kind of uh, courses that we're doing like this here at Fisherville on Wednesday nights, and uh, we'll see how far they expand these. Uh, but one of the things that uh, Jonathan told me was that I'm kind of his guinea pig for, for doing this, uh, me and uh, Steve Metz downstairs. So uh, I, I wanted to tell him, I beg to differ, you guys are actually the guinea pigs. Um, and what I mean by that is we kind of have to decide uh, as we're teaching and presenting this material, uh, what's going to be most beneficial for you guys um, in, the, in the audience who are taking up this material and this teaching. So uh, that'll be uh, just as we go through this um, second half of the course, that'll just be something that I ask you kind of keep in mind if you can reflect back on what we've already done and kind of the format that we use for that uh, uh, and compare it some to what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. So um, I, I kind of have a preference uh, as far as what I would like to do. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what that is, but I would like to... Uh, I'd like to hear back more from you, and uh, I think Jonathan and uh, uh, the leadership team uh, would like to hear back from you guys as well as far as uh, what we want the plan for these courses to look like uh, in the future. So um, we'd just appreciate if you'd have that in mind. So uh, I've talked about changing things a little bit. So what exactly are we going to do this uh, second semester as we uh, go through the Old Testament? Well, instead of studying those things as uh, from the pertaining to the interpretive triad as I was doing it, we're just going to pick one or two major themes from each Old Testament book that we're going to cover. And we're actually going to be covering a lot of Old Testament books uh, this, this go-around. So um, we will uh, we'll actually be having to move through the material uh, quite quickly, even though we're doing uh, one to two themes uh, per book. So uh, just with that said, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. So tonight is Isaiah and Jeremiah. We're going to start out with, Jer uh, with uh, the book of Isaiah. The main question that the book of Isaiah wants to present its readers with is, who will we trust, okay? So the book of Isaiah was written to the nation of Israel, and that's the kind of the question that the author is wanting to pose to the nation of Israel. Who are you guys going to trust? Are you guys going to put your trust in God and his word, or are you going to put your trust in yourselves? Are you going to put your trust in the nations that are surrounding you? Are you going to uh, put your trust in anything except for God? That's the question that the author of Isaiah wants to pose to his readers, and that's the question that us, all this time later, as we read the book of Isaiah, that's the question that we need to be asking ourselves as we read through this book. So the book of Isaiah has a lot of different answers to this question, but I'm going to focus on two tonight. First uh, answer that we're going to focus on is we must trust God for meaning in life. We're going to look at that from kind of the first half of Isaiah, chapters 7 through 39. Uh, we're going to read all of that, so y'all be ready. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, second answer that we're going to glean from the book of Isaiah as far as who should we trust is we must trust God's plan. We're going to get that from the second half of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66. So who will we trust? Answer number one, we must trust God for meaning in life. Um, before we actually uh, get into this, uh, let's get a little bit of historical back uh, context for this prophet. So who was Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was one of uh, Israel's pre-exilic prophets. If you'll remember the last time we were here, uh, we studied the book of Kings, and we learned that starting in the book of Kings, it starts with Solomon, and everything's going really well in Solomon's reign. Uh, Israel's in a in a very prominent position uh, as far as politically in the surrounding nations. Everything seems to be going well. The, the temple is built. Um, their land is expanding, and everything seems like it's going very well. And then Solomon dies, and his son Rehoboam takes over. And at that point, uh, a very, very unfortunate thing happens in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel actually splits into two kingdoms, right? So we have the ten northern tribes of the nation of Israel, 
um, go off to be their own kingdom. It's typically known as the nation of Israel. It continues that Israel name, or it's known as the nation of Ephraim. Okay, we're going to read some about uh, some more about them tonight. The southern two nations, the na- uh, tribes, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, um, continue. Uh, they're in the south, and they continue on with the uh, the line of David. Uh, they have a um, the kings descended from David as as their kings uh, over their nation. Um, one of the things that we're going to see is uh, once this na- once these nations split is that things start to go downhill morally and theologically and uh, also politically uh, for both of these nations. So both start trending in a, in a downward direction, okay? They, they were doing well together when they split uh, due to divided resources um, and mainly because of the providence of God. Uh, both nations start to go downhill, and so a temptation arises for both of these nations. And the temptation is this. They are stronger when they make alliances with other nations around them than they can be with themselves, okay? So the temptation was always there to make alliances. We had uh, in the book of like Joshua and Judges, the Israel's main enemies in those books are nations like uh, the Canaanites or um, like the Philistines, some of these smaller tribal nations that were just around Israel's uh, immediate borders. Um, and those were the people who they were constantly fighting with. But by the time we get into the book of Kings and when we encounter these prophets historically, Israel, Israel's major uh, enemies aren't these little tiny little nation states. They're these big world powers like Babylon and Assyria and Egypt. And so at these two nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, what they've figured out is that, hey, we can actually withstand these people's attacks if we join with other nations that are around us and help each other out and put our trust in them. That should lead us to already see something's going wrong in these two nations because we're going to read about the, uh, the answers from the book of Isaiah about our two main questions is that Israel and Judah are supposed to put their trust in God, not other nations. Let's turn to uh, the book of Isaiah, and we're going to start looking at uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and see how this uh, chapter helps us answer this question. So uh, this text reads, I have it up on the screen, you're free to uh, go to it in your Bible if you like. Um, Some of my writing might be a little bit small on the PowerPoint tonight. But starting in Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to start with verses 1 through 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, Ephraim's another name for the northern tribe, known as uh, northern kingdom known as Israel, the heart of Ahaz fell, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So as we read these two verses, we see right away that uh, one of these alliances that I told you about has already taken place. The northern kingdom of Israel has made an alliance with a kingdom called Syria, which was a little bit north uh, of their border. And they said, let's get together and let's go uh, try and conquer the nation of Judah to our south. So we already had the the two divided nations who are filled with Israelites uh, divided in their making alliances against one another so we can already tell that things aren't going well. Um, We can also, (coughs) in these verses, we're introduced to a king from the Davidic line. He's king of the nation of Judah in the south, Uh, and this king's name is Ahaz. Well, the book of Kings gives an evaluation of all these different kings over these two nations, and it contains an evaluation of King Ahaz, and it doesn't give him a good one. Ahaz is one of the kings who we read about who uh, the book of Kings tells us he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we know Ahaz's heart is uh, bent towards evil. Uh, and the, these verses in Isaiah tells us that when Ahaz looks over his walls of his city and he sees Syria and Ephraim, um, their armies marching toward him, uh, he is scared in his heart. Uh, and is I think it's real interesting. It says that uh, his heart the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So it's like these, uh, this Syrian and uh, uh, Israelite army is like a great wind, and it's just shaking these people uh, who are under Ahaz's uh, rule. 
Let's keep reading Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. And the Lord said to Isaiah, the prophet who our book's named after, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and Sherah Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliah. So we uh, encounter the prophet Isaiah in these verses, and we see the Lord telling him, I want you to go meet Ahaz, and I want you to tell him he has nothing to fear from these two nations who have formed an alliance against him. In fact, we see the answer to the, to the question of the book of Isaiah, who should Ahaz be trusting in this situation? Well, Ahaz should be putting his trust in God. Unfortunately, uh, so we have this situation where these two uh, nations are coming against Ahaz, and uh, Ahaz is uh, quite terrified of it, and he's uh, trying to figure out what to do. And we're going to read about what Ahaz actually decides to, to do in, in a moment. Um, the temptation for Ahaz at this point is not to put his faith in, in God, in Yahweh, the God of Israel, but instead to uh, form an alliance with another nation state, right? That's his great temptation. He should put his trust in God, but his temptation is to put his trust in another nation to form an alliance to beat back this alliance between Syria and Israel. Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so we see right away we're encountered with Ahaz being told to uh, ask for a sign from the Lord that, that he could trust, that he could put his trust in the Lord and that, he, that the Lord would be faithful to fulfill, uh, to rescue Ahaz out of this situation. And he's t Ahaz is told to ask for a sign from God that God was going to do this. And then we read Ahaz's response, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, in our minds, because of the New Testament and encounter Jesus, we might actually think, hey, that's, that's, that's a pretty good thing. He, he's not wanting to put the Lord to the test. But actually, the very next verses after this make it very clear that this isn't a good thing in this context. Because you see what it means by Ahaz not being, being willing to put the Lord to the test is that Ahaz has no confidence that God is going to be able to rescue him in this situation. He has more confidence in an alliance that he could form with uh, the Philistines or with the Egyptians. Uh, he has more confidence in those nations than he has in his God. And so we have a very, uh, very, very, very sad situation here. Uh, instead of trusting God and putting his uh, faith and his trust in God, Ahaz isn't going to do that. He's not even going to ask the Lord for a sign. So uh, how, how are we, uh, as we see this uh, question being posed to, to Ahaz, how, how is it going to be, um, uh, how is it posed to our own life? Uh, what are some different ways in which we're failing to trust God for, for meaning in our own lives? Well, we need to think um, a lot of times when we uh, are failing to trust God in our own lives is because we don't have the faith in God's uh, word um, that it has the answers that we need for the problems that we're facing in life, right? I mean, that was Ahaz's problem, right? The prophet Isaiah goes to him and says, Ahaz, you don't have to worry about these people. God's going to destroy these nations in just a few years' time, and you don't have to worry about them coming to take over you. And what we see in Ahaz's life is that Ahaz is unwilling to uh, accept the, the word of the Lord. And a lot of times that's our problem too, isn't it? God's word has all sorts of solutions uh, in it for our lives that we can read and apply to our lives and uh, that can allow us to trust in God. But a lot of times when we fail to trust in God is because we don't seek God's word uh, for the answers that we need in order to trust God. A lot of times we're um, when we fail to trust God is because we are much more convinced by the answers that the world provides us uh, than the answers God provides us, right? I mean, we, we, uh, we hear all the answers in the, uh, that the wor world wants to send our way, uh, and, and they all sound really good, right? And they all sound much better than anything we would read in Scripture, right? 
And so a lot of times that's uh, a reason that, uh, that we can fail to put our trust and our faith in God. Um, how, can we, uh, how can we turn from this and uh, actually put our trust and our faith in God uh, and, for, uh, and to find meaning in, uh, in God for our lives? in our lives and to trust him. Well, one way is that we can just simply love what God loves. God loves his own glory infinitely more than our own comforts and our own happiness, right? And so that's one way that we can begin to to trust in uh, God uh, for answers in our lives is that we can trust that God is going to want to glorify himself uh, more than he is uh, our comforts or our, ha- or, or our happiness. One way we knew this is just by simply recognizing that God loves worshipers, right? And so God wants uh, God wants worship out of us uh, when we when we uh, learn to trust Him. He He enjoys that worship that we uh, get from Him when we see uh, when we uh, come to Him uh, in trust. We can learn to hate what God hates, right? Uh, we can learn to that we cannot embrace. Uh, sin, right? That's what Ahaz is doing, right? He's embracing these other alliances with these other nations. He's uh, embracing uh, all of their uh, evil practices and all the things that would come along with the alliance with the pagan nation. He's uh, he's going straight into this kind of thing. And so um, one of the things that we see in Ahaz is that he doesn't hate what God hates, but if we actually want to put our trust in God, we have to learn to hate what God hates. We have to be calling uh, willing to call sin what it is. Um, we have to be willing to say, yeah, all these answers that the world is wanting to send my way as far as what's good for me, uh, we have to be willing to call those uh, for sin. Let's, uh, let's transition on to the second half of the book of Isaiah and uh, look at the second answer uh, that Isaiah is giving, giving us as far as uh, uh, to the question of who will we place our trust in. second answer that Isaiah wants to give us is that we must put our trust in God's plan. We're going to see this in Isaiah uh, 40 through 66. Let's look at, um, start now, let's look at Isaiah chapter 41, verses 21 through 24. Important thing to realize about the book of Isaiah, once we get uh, into Isaiah chapter 40, is that the context kind of shifts. From Isaiah 1 all the way through Isaiah 39, the prophet is uh, revealing these visions, and he's speaking about situations uh, that occurred in his own lifetime, okay? So these are all things that uh, the prophet Isaiah was seeing around him and that occurred during his own life. Well, starting in Isaiah chapter 40, we see a shift. He, the prophet Isaiah isn't talking about things that are going to occur in his own lifetime. The prophet is starting to address matters that are going to occur a lot later uh, on, in, uh, on in Israel's history. Specifically, he's actually starting to address uh, Isra- the Israelites and uh, Judah in, in exile. Okay, so when we come to Isaiah chapter 40 and through the end of the through the end of the book, the context that the prophet is speaking into is uh, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah in exile. Let's look and see what he says. Set forth your case. This is Isaiah 41:21 through 24. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed or terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. So the context that Isaiah is speaking into is exile. And as I told you, the very first half of Isaiah is all about who are we going to put our trust into? And the answer is we need to put our trust in God. Well, how does that work for the nation of Israel in exile, right? I mean, the Israelites are in exile. They are in another nation's land. They are in a foreign nation, and they are supposed to put their trust in God uh, before uh, these foreign nations and what are all these nations going what is this nation going to say to the people of Israel if they see them do that they're going to say give it up guys I mean we've already won the day we've we've captured you you are in exile in our land there is no hope for God your God lost the battle your God lost the war 
and there isn't any point in you putting your trust in your God anymore. In fact, what you need to do is put your trust in the gods of the lands that you are in, right? You need to put your trust in idols, and that's actually what we see uh, happening in Isaiah 41. Uh, what this is talking about, these verses uh, in Isaiah 41 are talking about is the idols that, these pe- that the nation of Israel is encountering in these foreign lands, right? And what we actually see is this type of like a trial scene uh, that God is portraying against these idols, and he's saying, why don't you guys, why Israelites, why don't you see these idols lined up before me? And we're going to put them on trial. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a simple test. I want you to test these idols, and I want you to ask them, what, what, what happened early on uh, b- during creation? And how does that tie into what's going to happen in the future? And let's see if you can tell me the, the plan that, uh, that is being used to organize world history and draw it to an end. And let's see what these idols say. All right. And we're actually, we're not told the answer that these idols give, right? In the book of Isaiah, there's, there's no answer up there, right? And, beca- and it's because the implied answer is that these idols don't have anything to say, right? I mean, they are stones and they are sticks and they are straw. And that's what uh, God is wanting to show the Israelites is that the gods of the other nations aren't worth their trust. We see God's evaluation of these idols in verse 24. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. And so we see God saying, not only are you idols nothing but a bunch of sticks and rocks that uh, have been carved to make, to make look like you're something, any man who puts his trust in you is a fool, right? He's an abomination, right? And so we see the nation of Israel, even though they're being faced with this question of why would you continue to put your trust in your God who couldn't save you from being exiled out of your own land? Well, what we see is that God's answer, we see God's answer beginning to, to, to take shape, right? We see that God's answer is that this is all part of my plan for what I'm doing through my, through my people, right? We continue to see... Um, God's plan takes shape as he continues to address the nation of Israel uh, in exile. Uh, as we continue to read through Isaiah, where uh, we encounter this person, this uh, figure known as the servant in Isaiah. And there's not there's a lot of kind of like uh, shadowy information given about him. And a lot of times it's actually hard to pinpoint who exactly Isaiah is talking about, right? But as we continue to read, uh, Isaiah, and we continue to see who this servant is, uh, what we actually see is that this servant is actually going to be the purifying agent for the nation of Israel uh, for their sins. We encounter this servant in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, where we behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of human children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which was has not been told them they shall see, and that which they have not heard they will understand. They understand. In chapter 53, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquaintance with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, uh, he was despised and he, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken 
for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, for when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper his lamb. I'm going to stop reading it there. But what we see in this servant-like figure is that we read what he is going to do for the nation of Israel. And he is going to take the iniquities and the sins of the nation of Israel on himself. And he's going to make it to where God can actually begin to use the nation of Israel again in his plan. So the nation of Israel is exiled out of their own land, out of the promised land that we learned that God had given to their forefathers and promised to them as an inheritance. And uh, because of their sin and their disobedience to God's covenant, they have been exiled out of that land. But what we read in Isaiah uh, 40 through the end of the book is that God still has a plan for these people. And God is going to use these people to not only bring them back to himself, but actually bring the nations of the world uh, back to himself, to bring the nations that earlier in the book of Isaiah, uh, we're going to learn that God is going to judge as well. Uh, God is going to use this people to bring those nations back for him to himself. Um, but in order to do that, in order to use Israel in this way, uh, the Lord has to purify the nation of Israel before they're able to do this. And the way that this nation is going to be purified is through laying their sons on the servant, right? And of course, we know through the New Testament that eventually this servant is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what I want you to see here, what's so important is that this is actually all part of God's plan that we uh, that he has going throughout world history. This is what Isaiah is trying to, to preach and to proclaim to these people is that uh, who are we going to trust in uh, in life? We need to trust God, and we need to trust God's plan for uh, for our lives and see uh, our lives as part of the grander plan of what God is doing uh, in world history. We can't get wrapped up in our current situation of in e of exile and defeat, right? Uh, let's continue reading in Isaiah. Uh, we'll come to Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. This is the end. This is the end of God's plan. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, he says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a uh, hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be uh, the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet sprinkling, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain says the Lord. And so what we see in these uh, verses towards the very end of Isaiah is the conclusion uh, of God's plan for the history of the world, right? And so God's, uh, he, he, has, he has planned to bring Israel into their land. He has planned for them to be exiled out of the land, but in their exile, he plans to bring them back into the land and to there establish them as a light to the nations to bring all of the nations of the world back to him so that we can have a recreation of what we saw at the very beginning of what we saw at the very beginning of this course, which is the end for which God created the world is what I said uh, for all of humanity uh, to be uh, worshipers of the one true God and for God's glory to cover the dry land like the waters cover the sea. Right. That is the that is the end goal that the book of Isaiah is pointing us to. And when the book of Isaiah uh, asks us the question, when it poses us the question, who will you serve? It wants us to serve God and it, or who will you trust? It wants us to trust God and it wants us to trust God's plan 
uh, for what he is doing in the world. Let's transition now to the book of, I of Isaiah. When we think about the book of Isaiah, the main question that I want us to think about is, will we maintain our prophetic word? Now, in saying this, I don't want us to get the impression like that this is the main theme of the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is wonderfully complex, but I think this is an important uh, theme that we're going to see in the book of uh, in the book of Jeremiah, and it's the one that I want us to pay careful attention to tonight. I think it has a lot of implications for how we live our lives here in 21st century American culture, right? Will we maintain our prophetic word? Now, when we're thinking about that, the word prophetic word, I want to make sure that we that we understand what I'm talking about here. So when we think about Old Testament prophets, uh, when we think about prophecy in the Old Testament, there's really two kinds of prophecy, right? I've heard it uh, labeled as foretelling, which is what we oftentimes think when we hear the word prophecy, right? Uh, foretelling future events, right? Uh, saying this is what's going to happen in the future. But we certainly see that all over the place in Old Testament prophecy. But we also see something else, which is that the prophets of Israel and the prophets of Judah are to practice forthtelling. And what I mean by that is they're actually not going to address future situations, but they're going to address their, uh, the people that they are living among and to tell them how, um, how they are living and how they should be living in accordance to God's wor word. It's to... Uh, to practice prophecy in this sense, in this foretelling sense, is to point out, um, uh, to speak into a culture and tell it how it is falling short of God's, uh, of God's standard and of, uh, and of God's word. And so that's kind of that second sense is kind of what I have in mind when I say we must, uh, main will we maintain our prophetic word? I have in mind, are we going to be able to maintain our voice as God's people in the world in which we live? So uh, Jeremiah offers three warnings, uh, he offers more than three, but three that we're going to look at tonight of how our prophetic word may be compromised. Let's talk a little bit about the historical context of Jeremiah before we get too far into this book. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet during the time when Judah, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom was actually exiled. And so he's after the prophet Isaiah, and in fact, he's, he is a prophet during the period in which Israel was exiled. Uh, the exile didn't happen all at one time. It actually happened over, uh, over a period of number of years. And during this time, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the nation of Judah. <coughs> and one of the things that becomes very obvious uh, as... Um, as you read the book of Jeremiah, is that this looming context that the prophet Jeremiah is speaking into, this, uh, this context of exile, what you see is the multiplication of messages, right? We see a lot of messages that claim to be from God, but actually aren't messages from God, right? And then in the midst of this, we, we see the prophet Jeremiah's message. So as we think about, will we uh, be able to maintain our prophetic message? Let's look at our three answers. Uh, the book of Jeremiah would tell us that hypocritical religion will destroy our prophetic word. Let's look at this in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and reclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the gate, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What we, what this last phrase, the temple of the Lord, is repeated over and over and over again. It's actually a reference to some of these false messages that we are uh, that the people were encountering during uh, uh, Jeremiah's time. The prophets in Jeremiah's time were seeing this looming exile of the people. They were seeing all of Israel's uh, enemies gathering around them, and the end looks <coughs> imminent, uh, like it could come at any second. And these prophets are saying, wait a minute, guys. We have nothing to fear because we can put our trust in God. Like Isaiah, no, that's not what they said. What these people say is we have nothing to fear because we have the temple right? And since we have the temple, the place where God dwells, we have nothing to fear uh, to be 
uh, of being exiled out, out of this place because this is where is, this is where God uh, is met, chosen to make His dwelling. These prophets were saying God will not allow us to fail. One of the things I think we can learn from these uh, this message of these prophets is that we have to avoid uh, vague notions of religious truth, right? These prophets had a vague notion of religious truth, right? The, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We have the temple of the Lord. We cannot fail, right? Israel, we don't have anything to worry about because we have the temple of the Lord. Well, there's a lot of vague notions of religious truth that go around in Christian circles, right? We, we can't afford, however, to buy into these vague notions of religious truth. We can't afford to just be the, the Jesus people, right? We can't be just the Jesus people. We can't be just the God people, right? We certainly can't be the, I just want to help other people out people, right? We have to be the gospel people, right? We have to be the people that stands for the truths of, of the gospel and God's word and scripture, right? Uh, <coughs> as we continue to move on in uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, we're going to read verses 8 through 10. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? And so what we see here is the attitude of the people in the prophet Jeremiah's time, right? They were buying into this false message, and they're doing all these wicked things, and they're then they're coming uh, before God at his house and saying, oh, we're good now. We're in God's presence, right? And so what, what we see in these people is that the people wanted God's protection, right? But they didn't actually want anything to do with God or his law, right? And so one of the things that I think that we can learn in order to not lose our prophetic word is that we can't ever presume upon God's grace. To presume upon God's grace is actually evidence in itself uh, that we were not going to get God's grace because we don't understand God's grace at all, right? Let's move on to the second answer the book of Jeremiah is going to give us for how we can maintain our prophetic word. We can, uh, refusing to follow God's word will destroy our prophetic word. We're going to jump to Jeremiah chapter 28 and read verses 1 through 4. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azar, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babel. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So what we see uh, in these passages is this false prophet named Hananiah, and he's uh, beginning to preach a message to the people uh, of Jerusalem. He's saying, guys, in just a short time, I'm going to bring back all these uh, things that the king of uh, Babylon has taken away from me. I'm going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon uh, off of you. And so um, what we see is that Jeremiah, uh, Hananiah is actually confronting uh, uh, Jerem uh, Je the prophet Jeremiah, whom we know to be a true prophet of God with a message we know that he did not receive uh, from God because at this point the prophet of Jeremiah is saying guys the exile is going to happen in fact if we were to read before this we would read about this uh, instruction from God for the prophet Jeremiah to take this yoke on his back and to carry it around with him everywhere he went and what this yoke symbolized was the yoke that God was going to allow the king of Babylon to place on the people of Israel the exile was going to happen, and Jeremiah is like a living illustration of that. And here we run into this figure, this false prophet named Hananiah, and he's actually saying, Jeremiah is wrong. This exile is not going to happen. So uh, what would cause uh, so we see uh, uh, even though that Hananiah was confronted with the word of God from Jeremiah, 
uh, Hananiah chose not to follow that, God, uh, that word from uh, God in Jeremiah. What will cause us, for, uh, uh, cause us to not follow God's word? Well, there could be a lot of things, I think. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting in these verses is that um, we, uh, we're going to go on to read uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 28, 5 through 11 here, actually. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, uh, the prophet, in the presence of the priest and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place uh, from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, pestilence uh, against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, which is Hananiah, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But the prophet Jeremiah went away. So Hananiah is obviously uh, confronting the word uh, the word of the Lord uh, that God has given the prophet Jeremiah to speak. And in fact, in these verses, we actually see that this false prophet Hananiah takes the yoke from Jeremiah's back and takes it off his back and actually breaks it and says, this is actually what reality is, guys. God is going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to be under this yoke forever. God is going to break this yoke. And so what we actually see is Hananiah is actually uh, 100% opposed to the word of God. What would cause us to be opposed to the word of God? Well, I think it's interesting to reflect on the context of uh, this episode uh, that we're reading about here. This, uh, uh, these verses begin telling us is that the context for this isn't out in the middle of nowhere or something like that. It's actually in the middle of the temple. And it's in the middle of all of uh, the nation of Judah's uh, uh, elite people, right? It's in the midst of all their of all their priests and their royal figures and their king and their uh, and their economic and social leaders. And so, I think one of the things that would cause uh, is causing Hananiah to actually ignore the prophetic word from God is uh, uh, a yearning to have respect from all these elite figures, right? And that's one thing that can cause us to lose our prophetic word, right? When we're wanting respect from people that that are around us in our workplaces, right? We, we're wanting their respect more than we're actually wanting to follow the word of God, right? It's so easy to learn to lose our prophetic word and our ability to speak prophetically uh, to people in our culture when we're wanting uh, the respect of those who are around us. Um, another reason I think that Hannah and I is perhaps... Uh, um, not following God's words just because he is uninformed of God's word, right? I mean, this guy is acting like uh, the exile of the nation of Israel is like big news that he's never actually heard of, right? But we've actually encountered the exile of the people of Israel already in our study, right? I mean, the exile of the people of Israel comes at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, right? There's this whole section in Deuteronomy chapter 28 where uh, Moses tells the people, guys, if you disobey this covenant and you break this covenant that I'm making with you, you're not going to stay in the land, but I'm going to exile you out of it, right? Well, the false prophet Hananiah evidently hadn't been reading Deuteronomy 28 because he acts like this isn't going to happen, right? And so our own biblical and theological illiteracy can actually uh, prohibit us from having a prophetic voice within our culture, right? Like it does Hananiah in this instance, I think. Let's, um, let's transition to the, to the final uh, answer that the book of Jeremiah gives for us for how we can maintain our, our prophetic word. Uh, and that answer is valuing material things over God's plan will falsify our prophetic word. Let's look at the book of Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to start reading verses 4 through 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
build houses and live to them. So uh, the prophet Jeremiah is, uh, is actually addressing the people in exile, and he's telling them to build houses and to, and to live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. For it, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And so actually what we see here is that uh, the prophet Jeremiah is addressing these people, uh, these exiles in the letters, and he's saying, guys, y'all need to settle down because this isn't going to be uh, over in a short amount of time. Y'all are, y'all are here to stay. And in fact, most of y'all are probably going to die here in exile, right? And the reason that the prophet Jeremiah does this, we actually see it at the very end of, uh, of what we read here. The reason the prophet Jeremiah has to do this is because in exile, there's all these false prophets profit, popping up among the, among the exiles, and they're saying, guys, we don't have anything to worry about. I, I know things look bad right now, but God isn't going to allow it to stay this way. And before long, we're going to see our, our king's going to be put back on his throne, and we are going to be taken back to our land, and this situation of exile isn't going to last all that long. And that's the situation that, uh, that Jeremiah is speaking into. And he's saying, you guys need to hunker down because it's, it's going to last for a while. In fact, we uh, read that God's plan for the exiles to last for 70 years. And so the people are supposed to settle in the land of Babylon. Let's, uh, let's see. Uh, let's move on to Jeremiah 29, 24 through 32. Uh, to Shemaiah. This is one of these false prophets who, who has been exiled. And he's, he's speaking to the, to the exiles to Shemaiah of Nehalem, you shall say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the... I just lost my place now, I'm sorry. To Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you a priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies to put him in the stocks and the neck irons. Now why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth who is prophesying to you? For he has sent us to uh, in Babylon saying, your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah, <coughs> Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send to all the exiles, saying to them, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of Nehalam, because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when uh, I did not send him and has made you trust in Allah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalam and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among his people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. So what we see this false prophet Shenaniah saying, uh, he's saying, guys, we don't have anything to worry about because God's going to put our priests back in the temple and God's going to put our king back on his throne and God's going to take, it, take us back to the land. And what we see this false prophet putting all his faith and all his trust and all his hope for is material things, right? He's not trusting in God at all. He's actually so consumed uh, with things that are important to him is that he's totally forgotten uh, to look for God's plan in the nation of Israel's exile, right? And so we see him putting his uh, faith and his emphasis in material things. Well, that's how we can lose our prophetic word, right? When we start valuing material things over God's plan uh, for our lives, right? And the thing is, is that in valuing uh, even though Shemaniah valued material things more than he valued God's true word, uh, therefore he actually lost his ability to speak God's truth to a people who were in dire need of it, right? Let's continue reading. Here's a, 
here's the part of this that I really love. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses uh, 1 through 3, and then we're going to read 8 and 9. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the, uh, from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Uh, my people Israel and Judah says the Lord and I will bring them back to a land that I gave to their fathers and they shall take possession of it and it shall come to pass in that day declares the Lord of hosts that I will break his yoke from uh, your neck and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I raise up for them Uh, as verses 8 and 9 and so what we see is that right after Jeremiah's addressing the exile and is and he's telling him guys you 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 guys need to hunker down uh and he has this dispute with the false prophet Shananiah uh right after this we see the prophet Jeremiah actually saying guys even though y'all are going to be there for 70 years there's going to be a time when I'm going to uh, come and work among you and bring you back out uh, out of exile and not only am I going to bring you out I'm going to bring you out with a new heart that is equipped to worship and obey me right and so we see uh, Shemaniah's big problem right is that not only uh, has he put placed his hope in material things by placing his hope in material things he's actually placing uh, his hope and something that is far too small, right? Because we have this misunderstanding in our culture, right? Is that we need to just trusting, uh, uh, we need to uh, trust in God and just shun uh, material things, right? And just that's the way the that's the lot that Christians are are, are called to live, right? Well, in actuality, uh, we're called to trust in something that is so much greater, right? We are called to trust in God's plan, uh, which we read at it is at the end of here. Uh, is so much greater than the things that Shemaniah had actually hoped for, right? Shemaniah hoped for a return back to the status quo of his day, right? He hoped for a return uh, to an immediate return to the nation of Israel, but without the changed heart that the prophet Jeremiah is actually hoping for, right? And so by his consumption with material things and with the status quo, we actually see Shemaniah has lost his prophetic voice, right? That's how we can lose our prophetic voice as well. Uh, thank you all for being here. Let's end in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you, Father, um, for being here in our midst tonight, Father. Lord, um, Father, uh, what a joy it is to study uh, your word uh, and to see its many precepts for us, Father. Lord, uh, may we be a people at Fisherville Baptist Church, Father, who would never lose our prophetic word, Father, our ability to address a culture for the sake of your gospel father and to stand up for the truths of your word father lord uh, may we never do that because we are uh, unaware of what your word says father lord may we never do that because we value other things more than we value the truths of your word father lord may we put our trust in you as the prophet isaiah instructed those people so long ago father and uh, still instructs us today uh, through his word, Father. Lord, it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you all for being